0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening. The uh, time has arrived. Um, If you have not filled out a white card yet uh, for first time attendees at a CEO event, we'd ask that you hold your hand up. If you didn't get a card, Pete can bring one out to you do we have anybody that hasn't uh, filled out a card before hey we have a few good evening everyone Welcome to All Saints Parish. My name is Matt Brandis, and I'm going to be helping uh, tonight. I'm a member of All Saints Parish, and it's really a thrill to have you all here this evening uh, and see the continued strong support uh, for CEO that's been going on uh, here in our community. Um, On behalf of our parish, I'd like to welcome all of you uh, and thank you for being here. And before we begin, I'm going to ask that uh, if you have your cell phone on, and I'm going to follow that advice myself, please turn it off. now that we're ready to begin, I'd like to thank Father Flaherty and the parish of All Saints for hosting this event tonight, and ask Father to come forward and lead us in a prayer.
1: I think, yeah, we could just, yeah. Well, thanks, Matt, and thanks everyone for being at All Saints tonight. I appreciate you being here so much. And so, uh, I don't see any I don't know, do you want to stand up for prayer or do you want to just, what do you think? You look so comfortable, I really hated to do that to you, so, so we should begin with a prayer today. And I'd invite you to think a little bit about some of the things that have just happened in terms of storms in the United States. You know, we heard of so much about storm damage yesterday and people who were hurt and displaced and even, even mortally, mortally hurt. But then this afternoon, about three o'clock, some of you are unaware probably that a huge tornado hit just uh, right next to Oklahoma City, which I have a classmate that's a pastor, and it just devastated a town of about 55,000, just really something. So you may notice that when you get home, it's called Moore, Oklahoma. So there's some people that are just wandering around right now, the pictures are incredible. So as we gather tonight, in air conditioning and with the beautiful sun out and probably in pretty good shape after last night's storms. I invite your thoughts tonight as we listen to Larry and celebrate together our faith to think about those good people and people who are certainly devastated and I'm sure you'll hear about more of that to come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we've come before you this evening for this outreach and we ask you to be with us in the spirit of Pentecost We hear from Paul's letter to the Romans, We know that the Spirit comes to our aid of weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the Holy Ones according to God's will. Lord in this, Days after Pentecost, and as we've invited the Spirit to be with us, allow He who searches our hearts to hear our prayers tonight, to hear Larry's words, and to take them close to our own hearts, and to take what we've learned this evening, to take it with us into the world tomorrow, as we face another day, another day of your blessings, and another day of the world's trials. We ask this to Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Thank you very much, Father. I think we were going to begin with a song, but I'm not sure I see our song leader here. So what is CEO? Um, I think most of you here uh, know uh, it's a Christ-centered, lay driven ministry um, that promotes evangelization Um, we're at a great time for having this uh, uh, following the Pentecost Sunday I think it's the work of the Spirit as Pope Paul II has said it's not enough to receive Jesus Christ ourselves we must bring him to others the world needs to see your love for Jesus Christ it needs public testimony and that's what CEO is about. Tonight, Larry Hunter is going to share his witness of how God called him to a deeper relationship with his son Jesus Christ and how that calling was answered. I'd like to give you a little background about Larry. Um, He's been a long time member of All Saints Parish uh, for the last 40 years. Um, Larry also uh, is the father of three children um, most of them if not all of them I think are here this evening and uh, he's the uh, grandfather of 11 grandchildren probably his proudest accomplishment uh, uh, of any of the many things that he's done um, he's a member of our men's group a member of the RCIA team he's a eucharistic minister elector uh, and also participates in our prayer group and uh, as you can see um, Good acts like that uh, are uh, just part of the picture. Uh, Testimony uh, is also important. And Larry is here this evening uh, to uh, give us his witness, and I'd like you to help me welcome him uh, as we move forward this evening. Larry. Larry.
2: Am I on now?
1: It takes two seconds. Thank you,
2: Father. <laughs> uh, I want to begin with one more short prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless everyone at this gathering, and bless every word that is spoken here tonight. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I am not a scripture scholar. I do not have a degree in theology. I am not ordained in any capacity. I am a Catholic layman like most of you. The very first time I heard about Jesus Christ, I was a small boy in Sunday school in the Mission Covenant Church, in Lancaster, Minnesota. Lancaster is up north, way up north. It's nine miles from the Canadian border. And I know what you're thinking. Every time I tell somebody where I grew up, they all say the same thing. Boy, I bet it gets really cold up there. (laughs) And I agree with them. I say, yes, sometimes it gets really cold and sometimes it gets really beautiful. So I changed my answer. So now when people ask me where I grew up, I say I grew up in the south of Canada. (laughs) They never mention the cold. It just sounds warmer. The Mission Church has its roots in Scandinavia. My grandmother and grandfather were pillars of the church. They raised 10 children in that church, and it was truly their church home. The church was very simple and small. Behind the pulpit on the plain wall, which was the focal point of the church, you couldn't miss it when you walked in, it was a rather large painting of Revelations 3.20. You've all seen it. You may have one in your home. We have one in our home and there's one down in the basement of the church. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and invites me in, I will come in and dwell with him and he with me. Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door, your door and my door, and knock. If anyone, anyone, anyone hears my voice and invites me in, I will come in and dwell with him. Jesus never forces himself on us, but he is always waiting for us to invite him into our hearts. That was the main message of that church the whole time I was there. The teachers in our Sunday school classes would tell Bible stories on felt boards, Using little images of biblical characters, and always there was a lesson about Jesus, stories of the Bible, mainly about his love and forgiveness, who he is and what he means to us. Through my eyes as a child, I thought Jesus was a very nice man. The teacher spoke of him in very loving and safe environment. And actually, as I now know, the messages were profound. They are the backbone of Christianity. They describe our reason for being here. They describe the purpose of our life. Ironically, I later discovered that the only time we talked about Jesus was when we were in the confines of the church. We never sat around the dinner table at our house and discussed who he was or what he meant to us. When I was on a date in high school or college, and yes, I had a few dates. You're supposed to laugh there. (laughs) My date and I never discussed Jesus. We never talked about him in any way. When I sat in a fishing boat with close friends and family, we sat in fishing boats for hours. We never talked about him. It seemed to me that you had to be inside a church to do that. Maybe your experience was different. Do you talk about Jesus outside the church setting? Do you talk about him with family and friends and even strangers? Do you talk to him about, with your kids and your grandkids? If you read his book and listen to what he says, I believe he is instructing us to tell everyone that we know what we know about him. The only time we mentioned his name in our house when I was a kid was when we were going to eat and Grandma was around. (laughs) We had a nice family, my mother and father, an older sister, and a younger sister. My dad had his own business. He had a standard oil bulk dealer business. The whole business was wrapped up in the one man, my dad. He did everything, and he was good at it. He had a large following, mostly farmers, and he made a pretty good living at it. In the spring of 1947, my dad and his buddies took off on their annual fishing trip to Canada. And just before he left, my mother informed him that she thought she was pregnant again. He was ecstatic. He loved kids. When he returned a week later, he was not feeling well and went to bed for two weeks. That was not like him. His customers were understanding and tried to make do until he got better. After two weeks at home, we transferred him to the county hospital, and he laid there for three weeks. After that, we were informed that he had to be transferred to a larger hospital to have his foot amputated. Gangrene had set in. By the time he got to the larger hospital, they removed his leg above the knee. The business began to suffer in spite of the fact that my mother's seven brothers and my dad's five brothers all chipped in and tried to keep it going. Even his customers came to town to get their products by themselves. Everyone tried to help in some way. Back then, they kept people in the hospital for long periods of time to aid in their recovery. Mother spent all her time at the hospital with dad, and us kids were farmed out to aunts and uncles. We had plenty of relatives to choose from. When dad was still in the hospital recovering, mother decided one day to come home and spend some time in our house to get it in shape for when we all got back together. She even decided to do some baking for all the relatives who were taking care of us kids. She needed to get out of the hospital as well. As mother was starting the fire in our wood-burning cook stove, she went to the back porch of the house and grabbed a small can of kerosene to help get the wood going. Everybody did that back then. It was standard operating procedure. However, one of the men driving the fuel truck And unbeknownst to my mother, had mistakenly filled the the kerosene can with power fuel. And when she put it, poured a little bit, it splashed it on the fire, it exploded upon impact. And it came up her arm. She had to get rid of the can. She turned around and threw the can at the screen door, hoping that it would go through to the outside. But it didn't, and our house burned. It didn't burn to the ground. But it was completely gutted. Mother was devastated. She had to go back to the hospital and tell dad what she had done. She blamed herself. He assured her there was nothing to worry about. He told her it'll all work out. Mother's pregnancy was confirmed. And now she began to think that this was no time to bring another child into our family. We can't afford what we have. She didn't know where to turn for solving this dilemma. So one day, she sat me and my 13-year-old sister down at the table at my grandmother's house and asked us, what did we think about her getting rid of that baby, based on the circumstances we were in? Even at that young age, we both said, she cannot do that. She could not do such a thing. My sister actually screamed it to her. You cannot do that. That was a heavy question to be put to kids our age, but we both immediately knew it was not an option. Our material problems should not be overshadowed by the gift of life. That was all my mother needed to hear. She kept the child, another girl. If she had confided in someone else, that would have agreed with her, today we would be minus one sister and all her great family. Maybe, just maybe, children should be in on decisions regarding abortion. God's people stepped up to the plate, so to speak. There were three Protestant churches in our town and one Catholic church out in the country, halfway between our town and the Canadian border. The Catholic Church was named the Holy Rosary Church, and it primarily served a Polish settlement of farmers who were customers of my dad. These people lived Matthew 25. Not only did they provide necessities for us, but they all prayed for us and with us. In fact, our town and the towns around, in our small towns around in our county, all took up collections in every place of business and gave our family $900. That was a lot of money in 1947. Our house got fixed up, and dad finally came home from the hospital. His first announcement was to get our family back together and spend time with each other. So he said we were going to on a picnic the following Sunday at the lake. And that's what we did. Mother prepared a lot of food, she made pies and she put them up in the back of the ledge of the back seat of the old, the old cars, that had the ledge above the back seat. She packed that full of food and uh, we were on our way. She and the new baby and my oldest sister were in the back seat, and me and my other sister were in the front with my dad. Dad was driving without one leg, but he didn't seem to mind. As we were going down the highway, the old 38 Chevy began to shake wildly and head for the ditch. The tie rod had fallen off, and it rolled over in a ditch full of water. Mother was holding the baby up and screaming, and Dad was giving me instructions to stand up and push the door open straight up. I couldn't even budge it. The water was coming in, and Dad couldn't do anything. Finally, he got angry, and cussing like mad, he told me again to plant my feet on something and push as hard as I could. So I did, and just as I gave it the best shove I could, the door swung wide open. There was a man standing on top of the car and had opened the door. He happened to be driving by. We as a family regarded him as our guardian angel, sent by God. We all got out safely without another, with another of life's experience under our belts. The men in the community got the old car back to town, put on a new tie rod, and pounded out the dents that hindered the driving. Dad was determined to run this business by himself. He didn't yet have an artificial leg, so he bounded around on crutches and one foot. Dad didn't like relying on other people. He knew in his heart they were trying to help, but he didn't think he needed help. To this day, I marvel at his determination. When that new baby was two and a half years old, Dad died. I was 12 years old, and the experience of my dad dying was both sad and strange to me. Dad's best friend was a pallbearer, and I remember looking at him across the aisle in the church in the front row where the pallbearers sat. I looked at my dad's best friend, and he was crying. In fact, he was sobbing, and I thought that was strange. That was not a correct behavior for a grown man. The culture of the man at that time was what I called the John Wayne Syndrome. Men didn't cry. They would stuff their feelings and suck it up. They were loving and kind, but they didn't display much emotion or feelings. The minister at the funeral spoke of dad meeting Jesus face to face, and I thought, well, that was okay, because I viewed Jesus as a very nice man, but I didn't get it. Mother was a widow at 37 with four kids and had never worked outside the home. 14 months later, My mother remarried. He was a close friend of my dad. He was my stepdad for 50 years and a wonderful man. He loved my mother and took good care of her. When I was 15, I went through our confirmation program at our church. At our confirmation ceremony, I was given a gift from the church. Here it is. It's the King James Version of the Bible. This one was printed in 1950 in Glasgow, Scotland. And in the inside is a little note to me. And underneath it, it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Apparently, they suggested that I read that. And how it reads in this King James Version is just like this. It says, Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths." Now that could be a basis of a good discussion around a dinner table, don't you think? Three days before I graduated from high school, my mother, at age 43, gave birth to twin daughters. It was time for me to move on. There was no room in our house anymore with five girls in one bathroom. (laughs) So I went off to college, and I pretty much ignored Proverbs 3. But thanks be to God, He didn't ignore me. My faith life was practically non-existent when I was in college. I went to church a few times with a group of men in an organization I belonged to. There was no Mission Covenant Church in that city that I was aware of, so I didn't go to church except when I went home. I did have one faith experience when I was in college. A boy my age from a neighboring town up in the country where I grew up was going to the same college as I was. We were not buddies, but we knew each other from back in high school. He was on a basketball scholarship and stood six feet four and we ran in different crowds. One afternoon, I was in my dorm room studying. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) When there was a knock on my door, I opened it, and there was my friend, and he was crying. Nineteen-year-old boys crying makes all other 19-year-olds uncomfortable. He announced to me that his father had just died suddenly and he didn't know what to do. I didn't know either. But I finally told him that I think he had to go home right away and be with his family. He agreed, but he didn't do anything, he just stood there crying. So I told him I would take him home. I didn't have a car, but he did. So he set off on a four hour drive with him sobbing and crying. I kept my eyes on the road and just listened to him sob. I had no words of comfort for him and was uncomfortable myself. Finally, he said to me, didn't your dad die? And I said, yes. Seven years ago, he died. More silence. Then he said, do you think your dad is in heaven? And I blurted out, absolutely. More silence. Then he said, you think my dad is in heaven? And again, I blurted out, absolutely. That seemed to calm him some and make him more at ease. An hour later, I realized that was the first time since my dad's death that I had spoken out loud that I believed he was in heaven. And a feeling of calm and contentment came over me. I graduated from college, and the following week, I went to work in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for Collins Radio as an industrial engineer. It was the only job offer I had. I think it was the Holy Spirit at work. I was anxious to get to work because I had no money and debts to pay. So I caught a cab at the airport, Cedar Rapids, and as he was driving me into town, I told him I needed a place to live. He said, okay, and he drove me to 1416 7th Avenue Southeast. I walked up, knocked on the door, met Mrs. Myron Booz, liked her, liked the room. I rented a room for a dollar a day, and life was really good. There was a young lady in my department at work who had recently graduated from Clark College in Dubuque. We became friends. She had a boyfriend, and I never saw her outside of work. One day, she invited me to join her and her boyfriend and an old friend of hers from Clark to go to a movie. I was never a fan of blind dates, so I politely declined. She was very persistent, so eventually I agreed. Sitting in a two-hour movie is not conducive to conversation, so when I walked her to the door that night, I asked her what she was doing the next day which was a Saturday. She said, well, she's catching the bus in the morning, going to Iowa City to spend the day with her boyfriend. (laughs) Bummer. I had to think quick, so I suggested that she call him first thing in the morning. And say she couldn't make it. She made the call. Last November, we celebrated our 51st anniversary. During our rather short courtship, I learned that she and her family. Were devout Catholics. I spent a lot of time around her family and became aware of the importance of their faith in their daily life. My wife's parents went to Mass daily before opening their store on Main Street in Manchester. I admired their commitment to their faith and their devotion to Jesus Christ in all aspects of their life. Of course they were not perfect people But they were peaceful, contented people that knew how to have fun and enjoy life. And I admired the fact that they never tried to influence me in any way. Of course, I knew they were praying for my conversion, but they never talked to me about it. (laughs) Anne and I had a discussion about our possible future together as a family. And we both agreed that if we are one in our faith, our chances of a good marriage will be a lot greater. I hadn't been out of college that long, so I told her that I would check out the Catholic faith. I would check out the church. I was very smart at that time in my life, so I thought that checking it out would be simple. Here's what I would do. I would find out what to do, when to do it, learn the prayers, and show up. I attended a couple of formal meetings and then settled in with a priest one-on-one. He was just a few old years older than I, and I peppered him with all the usual questions non-Catholics have about the church. He told me to ask anything, don't hold back, and don't worry about offending him or the church. He was wonderful. He never backed away and always was kind and gentle. After I'd gone through my laundry list of the usual questions, he started to ask me some questions. He asked me questions such as, what did Jesus mean to me personally? He asked me questions like, did I pray? And if so, what about and how did I pray? He asked me questions like, what did I know about the Trinity? I hadn't heard much about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one being. What did I know about the sacraments of the church, she asks. Then the real teaching began. I was no longer asking questions. I was listening. He went through the scriptures to verify his teachings. He went through the sacraments one by one and in depth. And most important of all, He and I began praying together. God was beginning to move from my head to my heart, emphasis on beginning. Many people will tell you of a specific time and date when they experienced the adult baptism of the Holy Spirit, but mine was not that way. My experience of relationship came in small doses and mainly through other people and events. I was becoming excited about this Catholic Church. I told my wife-to-be that maybe I think I belonged in this church. The Eucharist was new to me. To receive the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ into my body was awesome. To be reconciled with a forgiving and loving God through confession was overwhelming. This was pre-Vatican II. The Mass was in Latin and I loved it. I joined the church in August 1961, and we were married in November of 1961. And a new journey had begun. Our first child was born nine months and five days after our wedding. (laughs) 19 months later, we had another son. When our firstborn was four months old, I left the engineering field. To go into the insurance business. I left a nice salary career to living on commission. I was working hard to build my business and Ann was home taking care of the home front. She was doing a great job and I was gradually building up my business. In 1967 we had our daughter and a great daughter she is. Life seemed to be on track. In 1969, I was transferred to Davenport to manage the office there. There was a large demand on my time, and even larger on Anne's with the kids. We were active in church and attended everything. We had great kids and were part of a faith community. Through some of her friends, Anne began to go to a prayer group in the convent in Bettendorf. She had a profound experience with her faith which led to a major change in her life. She couldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ and couldn't get enough of the scriptures. I could see the new joy she had found in her life, but I was critical of it, and I put her down. Gradually, I came to realize that this new thing she had found was something that maybe I should seek and her prayer group apparently felt the same way because I ended up going to a Curcio retreat in Rock Island, Illinois, shortly after that. After four days of rather intense study and prayer, I found myself asking the question that even though I knew quite a bit about God, the question was, where was he in my life? Or was he truly in my life at all? It got my attention or should I say the Holy Spirit got my attention, and I began a rather lengthy search. For some of us, it takes longer than others. In fact, for me, it goes on through all my life, as you will see. When our kids were six, nine, and 11, we moved back to Cedar Rapids and found a new prayer group that was citywide and met at St. Wenceslaus. I'm sure some of you probably were there. I was starting over, kind of, and my commitments were way out of whack. I was living in the world and not in the spirit, and I still didn't get it. Then one afternoon in 1974, I was in my office by myself and suddenly hit the wall. I came to a complete stop, and I couldn't do a thing. It sort of scared me. It was as if I were battery powered, and the battery just went dead, and I didn't know what to do. So I called Ann, told her where I was and what was going on. She says, hang up and wait. I'll call you back. 10 minutes later, she called me, told me to drive to this address on the west side of Cedar Rapids, and she would meet me there. We went to that house, and there were three couples from that prayer group who had gathered together on this very short notice for the express purpose. praying for me and over me see how slow I am it was a profound experience and very cleansing tears of sorrow and tears of joy and I hearkened back to revelations 320 and I opened the door and invited him in the next few years were good we were growing in our faith But of course, life was not perfect. Our kids were in their teens and experiencing all the things that teens face. When our eldest son was a senior in high school, he began to experience some difficult times in his life. He graduated from high school and went on to college. During this time in his life, you might say his life spun out of control. And in that process, I discovered that I was not and had not been the father to him that God created me to be. The result was a troubled young man. He was near death three times. Twice he attempted to take his own life. And once he was beaten, causing a severe concussion. He was in the intensive care unit all three times. By the grace of God and the All Saints Faith community, he is alive and well today. Right there. The All Saints faith community prayed for us when we couldn't. The faith community from All Saints showed up in the intensive care units and prayed for his recovery over his bed. More lessons to learn. During this time, I was giving advice, not in love, but in anger, to my son about drinking. Then the Holy Spirit said, woe to me. He says, you are giving advice with a drink in your hand. It became abundantly clear to me that alcohol consumption was too big a part of my life. I discovered that for me, alcohol was a thief It stole my money, it stole my time, it stole my health, and it stole my relationships. It was clear that I had to get it out of my life, period. It was a bad habit, but it was such a part of my social life that I wasn't sure I could get rid of it all by myself. Having made a few somewhat feeble attempts and failing, I was lying in bed late in the night, and I said to God, It seems to me I'm unable to to get rid of this by myself. So I'm going to give it to you. And asking that you take away any desire I have to drink. And he answered, I quit 30 years ago. Does God answer prayer? All through our 51. All through our 51 years, the Catholic Church has offered to our family numerous opportunities for us to grow in our faith. We have been on Curseo retreats, Christian experience weekends, marriage encounters, Bible studies, Alpha program, Retorno weekend, numerous retreats and seminars and it just gets better. We attended the Holy Spirit Conference at Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, and closer to home, the Holy Spirit Conference in Peoria, Illinois, almost every year. And I just read in The Witness about the new Archdiocesan program called IMPACT. I would encourage everyone to look into that. Read about it in the April 21st issue of The Witness. All these are put on by our church. Each time we get involved with something, we are again reminded to invite Christ into our lives, as we've heard over and over and over again. Invite him in daily. Seeds planted in the past begin to grow and bear fruit of the Holy, uh, bear fruit. Fruits of the Holy Spirit are everywhere. Read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We discovered along the way that as soon as Christ was placed in the center of our marriage, life became more complete. We are aware that life can sometimes throw us in the ditch. Life is not perfect and not without problems. But we do look eagerly ahead to see what God will place in our path. Our journey is not complete, and our church and our faith will lead us along to that completion. And I can truly say that my Catholic faith is more important to me than the love my wife has for me. And she will say the same. Opening the door and inviting Christ to be the center of your life, to me is a lifelong process and very exciting. Now this whole talk may seem to be a litany of problems, but I can assure you the joys of this life have far outweighed the sorrows. And let me sum up two things. My mother, who was an integral part of this story, was 100 years old on May 9th, 11 days ago. We were up there celebrating her her party with 300 of her closest friends. (laughs) Last year, when my mother and I were together alone, I asked her a question. I said, if she could go back and change any part of her life, what would it be? She hesitated. She stared down into space. She was quiet for quite a while. Finally, she looked me in the eye and said, not a thing. She said, this was God's path for my life, and I embrace it. The second thing is, remember that boy I spoke about with the struggles in his life? Well, as I said earlier, he's sitting right there. He's no longer a boy, and he walks with God. Our other son, and a daughter we are very proud of are sitting there as well. And one grandchild. Graduated from Xavier yesterday. As I grow older and am ever more aware of my own imperfections, I am increasingly grateful to have a relationship with the one who has experienced what it means to be human. From my my smallest misstep to my worst choices, I know that none of my actions are beyond the understanding, compassion, and forgiveness of a God who is not distant or remote, but intimately bound to me in love, as he is to all of you. That's my story up to now, and all of you have a story too. Every one of you has a story to tell. Jesus wants us to share it with each other. So share your story every chance you get. And to end up this talk, we're now gonna stand up and sing a song. John's gonna play the guitar, and we're gonna sing out of number 377 in the book, Here I am, Lord.